Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Shua Tracy. And I'm Corbin Heller. And um, yeah, it's July 7th, just around 6 p.m. here on the East Coast. And boy, howdy, does it seem like there's not too much going on after what felt like a several action-packed episodes with a lot going on down in the world of sports it feels like there's not too much up right now um so we'll see what we got but uh we're trying to save a lot of discussion that we both corn and i would like to have about where we kind of are state of baseball today for next week when the all-star break actually officially begins it's obviously easy to look at us being halfway through the games played mark and kind of making a lot of those conversations and, and discussions, but that would leave us with like fucking nothing to talk about during the all-star break. Um, since there's literally no games happening except for one rather trivial one. So mm-hmm. holding off on that for a bit, but we've got some other shit to get into. So Corbin, are you ready to get into it? See, si, senor. See, si, senor, it is. Uh, well, let's start with the fluffiest of fluff that we got, and that is the Giants, San Francisco Giants, released their City Connect jerseys um, uh, earlier this week. Fucking what day was that? Does it matter? Um, Monday? It was like two days ago. That would so, be Monday. Nice. That would be Monday. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and the Giants jerseys are... Um, Alibaba Cincinnati red jerseys, essentially. Um, They are a red rust color supposed to be inspired by the Golden Gate Bridge. And um, the lettering on the jerseys is um, faded out into an ombre white um, as it's supposed to represent the fog of San Francisco. And uh, Corey and I were rather looking forward to the San Francisco jerseys because there's a lot that you can do with San Francisco. Um, there's a lot. It's, it is rather a melting pot, um, which I think is really saying something for it being in California to still be thought of as one of the melting pots in such a diverse state. Uh, it is home to uh, a large and significant portion of uh the gay population on the West coast and is very tied to the identity of that city. And they went with a bridge, a bridge, a bridge and fog, a phenomenon that happens fucking everywhere. Um, (laughs) And they did the most boring Jersey design. I think I've ever like, the current Tampa Bay Rays uniform, I think, is one of the most boring sport jerseys I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks like a jersey that someone would have made in a game. Um, like Tampa Bay Rays jerseys are not good. But this feels worse, especially because the front of it really genuinely is nothing outside of half the letter G and the Nike swoosh. Uh, Corbin, what do you think about these? Uh, Well, seeing as I don't know anything you've said about them, because I've just been popping in and out, losing internet left and right. um, I guess hoping this is original thought uh, is the only thing they went with is it's foggy and there's a very famous bridge there. And that's the uniform. Everything they do is based off of one of those two facts. Every detail. There's multiple just silhouettes of the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, the G is different to focus on the Golden Gate Bridge. And then, oh, it's foggy there, so we're going to have gradient white. And it's just, it's so, it's not even boring because like the design is minimalistic and genuinely attractive if it was enough like it's just if it wasn't meant to be a city connect jersey and it was just uh hey we just designed some simple cool jersey just for the hell of it just to make it more fun and added this in as just another jersey sure okay but we've been talking so much about how these other jerseys how these other uniforms are 
connecting to the cities and trying to you know emulate the imagery of the city in a way that can be expressed on a baseball uniform and this is just kind of okay here are some facts this is the weather and something that is there and it's just kind of blah yeah and it's it's tough i understand that a lot of structures can be symbolic of the city in terms of some level of visual representation you know you see the st louis arch it's very easy to say well shit that must be a st louis thing that's happening uh or if you see the empire state building you go oh that must be a new york thing that's happening or you see a big fucking bean on the ground and you go ah that must be chicago like there i get i understand it but if we break down the term city connect it's tough to say that anyone's building or architectural structure is really going to connect you with the city outside of ah yes that is a thing that exists there that's what's Mm -hmm. tough about it you look at the ones that we've referenced many times before because the, the ones that came out first you look at miami and boston's and they have nothing to do with physical structures in those towns. They have to do with either things that happen in those towns or the cultures that are rooted within those towns, which that makes sense. That's how you're going to connect with a city. If you wandered around San Francisco and said, boy, howdy, do I love that bridge? Um, everyone's gonna look at you like you're a fucking jackass because that's what I would do. If someone wandered around New York and said, boy, I do love that Empire State Building, much as the same as I'm sure other people would do if you were walking around St. Louis and said, oh, boy, do I love that arch? It's like, shut the fuck. Who the fuck asked you? Fuck off. No one likes you. Like having to hold my laptop monitor, like the the screen on my laptop because I'm laughing, like gut laughing and it's shaking it so much. (laughs) Because, you know, like, if you walked around Miami and were like, man, I love these Cubans, or I, I love the Cuban population here, or the Cuban nightlife, or the, the Cuban culture, everyone would be like, yeah, fuck yeah, being Cuban is awesome. We love being all Cuban un- up in down here. And if you went to Boston and were like, I love commemorating the Boston Marathon. It was an important part of this city's history. People would be like, yeah, totally was. Dig it. Um, it's tough to do that with a fucking scrap heap of metal that people use to commute that is tough it is very tough it's a tough sell right there yeah it's like saying you can encapsulate all of the glory of staten island in the uh, verrazano bridge and it's like look i have don't have high opinions of staten island but i'm willing to bet that most people there would much rather be associated with like hip-hop culture than um the fucking Verrazano. Like it's it's vapid. It's reminding me of those jerseys, or not the jerseys, but the caps that New Era did earlier in the year, where it was just like, all right, you have for all five California teams, you have a palm tree, the outline of California, and a bear, and then one other thing for wherever you are, plus some years on the front. And it's just like every city was just like for it was it was the shape of the of the state it was a food item that was popular there it was the city name spelled in different fonts like three times right and it's just like two other like significant features about it just like on each uh what are they called like uh panels yeah yeah um looking at the new ones that they just came out with the so one that are we like should talk the about super, these the fonts yeah the stupid yeah. fucking fonts looking at the old ones that i was just complaining about compared to these i'd buy one of the old ones before i'd ever even put one of the new ones on they're bad like at least the other ones are funny and we can laugh about it because it's a meme now these are just ugly as sin oh yeah oh they're, yeah but we'll we'll get to those in a second yeah Yeah. um man it also sucks because they're boring these giants jerseys like it'd be one thing if they were super duper wacky and you know like there's a niche for it but it's like man these are just all so 
bore. Like, how cool would it have been if they did something gold and they combined mm-hmm. the idea, the history of San Francisco in relation to the gold rush, which is evident in other sports teams there, like the San Francisco 49ers, um, and combined the big dramatic color of gold with like part of San Fran's, which I understand that they hate. So if you're from there, go fuck yourself. Um, San Fran's um, uh, LGBTQ plus community and like really like found a cool way to like mesh those two ideas together. It would be, I think, very easy. And I sat here and thought of it now and um, it ain't a fucking bridge. I'll tell you that. Doing something relating to fucking covered wagons probably would have been more fucking interesting than this, but whatever. I'm very nervous to see what happens with the Yankees. Even if like, yeah, like if they did the white gradient, sure. But just instead of red, use gold for the Golden State Bridge or Golden Gate Bridge. Um, And then just got rid of like the stupid silhouettes that are just kind of placed on there. Okay, like you're working with something. I don't know. The one that's with just you, on the even hat, if they... I think, is so much worse. Well, yeah, that that uh, this is the first one where you can't even say. Well, at least the hat's good. Yeah. Um, but no, honestly, you're right. Because even if, even if they just took the bridge, kept everything the same, and just took the bridge design that they have on the sleeves, and also put that on the front of the jersey, I think it'd be better because it's not just this big white slate. It's just ugly. Yeah, but I am, uh, God, I'm very afraid to see what they do with the Dodgers now because they're next, right? The Dodgers, and then I guess they are the last one. I thought there was one more. No, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is one more. Angels, maybe? Or the Rockies? Oh, uh, no, because we already had the Diamondbacks. I feel like it was like the Padres were the only team in the NL West that weren't in it. So that's why I'm thinking Rockies and Dodgers, but it's Dodgers and somebody. I'm trying to find a, a schedule right now for them, but uh, that's just showing me past ones, not future ones. What a City shame. Connect release dates. NikeNews.com. News.nike.com. Okay. Um, this is where I found it last time. I'm confident in you. Nope, you don't. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Dodgers is the last one I see on ModernNotoriety.com. <laughs> it just is late August. So I guess that is Dodgers, the last one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nike's website is saying the Dodgers are the last one, too. And yeah, I would be afraid like if I was a August Dodgers fan. Something. End of August. Beginning of August. Legitimately, what? what's the stupidest thing they could do for the Dodgers? Um... Hmm. Hollywood like, sign. Oh my god, that yeah, like the Dodgers button Hollywood block letters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that just jumped out at me. And they put like a Hollywood like um like the star from like the the Walk of Fame. Like that would be oh, that'd be god, the cap. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the Dodgers logo inside the walk of the star, whatever. Yeah. That Walk of Fame walk star. Walk of Fame star, yeah, yeah. There's going to be, like, a spotlight there somewhere highlighting something unnecessarily. Oh, my God. It's going to look like it's going to look like a movie-themed bar mitzvah shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, like, oh. I walked the red carpet at Ben's bar mitzvah. <laughs> but it's the actual Los Angeles Dodgers jersey. <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I said it, and now I can see it, and it's gonna—it's probably actually gonna happen because Nike is devoid of good ideas. I'll, oh I'll no! Tell you what, um, the Dodgers, or sorry, not the Dodgers, ESPN. I went on to check uh, if they had a release date, and I found an article ranking the City Connect jerseys from when the Giants released theirs. What would you say is the best jersey so far? Uh mine's arizona Arizona? yeah yeah arizona's is gorgeous right love it what's your least favorite so far oh well these giants really okay mine's boston i just really don't like those boston jerseys i can again i can at least appreciate the swing they made with boston but boston's probably third from the bottom for me 
All right. The Boston jerseys are third from the bottom in third place out of the five so far. They put Arizona at four. Oh. Actually, no, there's six total. So Boston at three, Arizona at four, Giants at five, Cubs at six. So Cubs Marlins at two. Yep. And then Chicago White Sox having the best. That makes sense. I just Arizona's are so pure, just so perfect. And I love that fucking uh, sand color and, and the, the Diamondbacks name. Yeah. Serpientes, and I should say, spelled out with Serpientes. a snake. So fucking cool. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of theirs. Yeah, fuck you, ESPN. You don't know shit. Correct. Uh, speaking of folks that what don't know shit, uh, I guess let's uh, talk briefly about the because um, we're talking about fashion today on the show. Uh, the new era caps that now had fonts that also claimed they sold out like immediately. Um, I don't know if you saw that part, but uh, people were posting screenshots all over Twitter, like right after they dropped of saying that they were sold out, which I think really means pull them, pull them, pull them, pull them. Um, They were sold out because all of a sudden we now have zero of them. Oh, I wonder what happened. Well, but you see what happened is we made two and we gave one away of each. So (laughs) there's only one for sale. Um. Uh, look, man, I'm not going to sit here and claim I know how to make a good hat, but I'm pretty sure that's superimposing um, the name of the team in a variety of fonts like a fourth grader who just finds wingdings on Microsoft Word is not a good way to make a hat um, because that's essentially what this is. And while I can understand to a certain extent that it's like no news is bad or uh, yeah, no news is bad news. Being in the news is good. Essentially might be a, a good way to teach the basic concept of marketing to people, but I don't think constantly being in the news because all of your products are hot ass is a good way of doing it. Just, it's it's the ugliest thing I've seen out of a company for like New Era, who is, to me at least, known as the company that always produces absolute quality. Oh, like yeah. I've never had a New Era cap that I've been like, this fucking is a piece of shit. This sucks. Like, yeah, I venture most people's hats are people. New Era New Era hats. Yeah, because absolutely. they're that good. And this is just like the, just it's such a sour taste. I am very convinced it's going to affect my opinion of future hats. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not worth spending, I guess, a world of time on because it's like, how much can you talk um, about a shitty fucking hat? But boy, whoo, okay. oh, those bad hats. What? Honestly, they have some really good ones out right now. Different like collections that they have that I genuinely really like. Oh yeah, sure. New uh, that's part like of the, the other thing is New Era comes out with a fuck ton of hats. Like they have this wave cap that I'm looking at now that I think is like for some teams gorgeous. Like the White Sox where it's like white on black. Mm-hmm. That's gorgeous. Like the Yankees one is really great. Um Padres doesn't work out too well because it's a wave of shit. Oh, the <laughs> Angels one is beautiful. Um and then there's one with like uh, cherry blossom and there's one with like yellow rose like there's a bunch of ones that are really nice and I really like but this fucking fonts and the meme one just uh, I need some time to figure out where we are New Era I'm sorry you're taking a little pause in the relationship here yeah well uh, yeah then let's, uh, let's tap dance on over to the next thing we had written down there's a segue for you uh, and that's that today, not that when you're listening to this, it's the eighth when you're listening to this, but the seventh when we're recording this was Satchel Page's MLB debut. Um, now, obviously, the Negro Leagues are an official major league, and that is, this is not meant to diminish that in the slightest, just that this is the day in 1948. So it's, uh, what, 73 years? Yeah. Um, which Satchel Page was actually given the... Um, 
Well, when the barrier that was preventing Satchel Page from joining the major leagues earlier was finally lifted to an extent and allotted him to become a part of a major league team uh, debuting with the then Cleveland Indians, um, July 7th, 1948. Up to that point, uh, Satchel Page had been a ridiculously good pitcher. And he had uh, literally his accomplishments up to that point in his previous 20 seasons are almost too numerous to spend time on because, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just put it this way. He led the league in various points in wins, losses, because he pitched a bunch, uh, win-loss percent, ERA twice, uh, games twice, games started three times, uh, shutouts twice, saves twice, if you can fucking believe it. Um, innings pitched three times, strikeouts six times, um, batters faced once, ERA plus twice, FIP, believe it or not, for the seasons that we have anyway. Um, he led the league in FIP four times, WHIP four times, um, and strikeout to walk ratio. Jesus Christ, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, um, and was a Negro League All Star um, six times, all before joining the uh, Cleveland Indians. Additionally, he was um, triple crown winner, um, two time. ERA title and had won two Negro League World Series up to that point. So a star-studded career already. Then going beyond that, his actual, uh, his MLB career in which he played um, five seasons plus one game in 1965 as a promotional thing. Um, He pitched 476 innings in Major League Baseball. He had an ERA of 3.29. Mind you, this is from ages 41 to 46, uh, which is just stupid. He had seven complete games, four complete game shutouts, 33 saves, um, 288 strikeouts, an ERA plus of 124, and a FIP of 329. Uh, His whip was 1279. Um, that is a strikeouts per nine of 5.4 and a strikeout to walk ratio of 1.6. Uh, dirty fucking nasty, man. Just ridiculous. Dirt nasty. We just spent last episode talking about Ichiro Suzuki and, and everything he was able to. Did we talk about Ichiro or was that something I did on my own? Because I was no, I was looking at his baseball reference page yesterday. I think we made a passing comment about Ichiro, but it's tough to remember. We, we make a lot of these podcasts. Continue with <laughs> we your do. point. <laughs> we do. Either way, what he was able to do coming in as you know a rookie at 27 years old, um, 10 straight all-star appearances, just a, a monster in MLB and played until he was 46, 47. And Satchel Page comes in and starts off at 41. Like, in your mind, is is he the best pitcher of all time? Satchel Paige? Yeah. I mean, it's... It's it's such an interesting question because one of the things that Satchel Paige has going for him is that he is also one of the, I think, most story... Like, fairy-tailed pitchers, you know? Like... The fact that there's so many stories of the weird and wild and unbelievable shit that he could do on a baseball diamond that exists mm-hmm. just adds so much to the mythology of him. And also how in demand he was as a player. You know, Satchel Page bounced around a decent amount from team to team during his tenure in the Negro Leagues because he was so good that his salary that he commanded couldn't be paid long term. And teams would shell out money for him to pay him while they could until he walked to a different team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he ended up playing for in his Negro League career. Oh, geez, let's see. One, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven different Negro League teams. Um, sorry, six different Negro League teams. I added in Kansas City Athletics by mistake. Six different Negro League teams um, during his time in the Negro Leagues. And was a killer on all of them. Um, 
damn, where would I rank him though? Fuck. I think he's, he's, he's definitely top five for me all time. Definitely mm-hmm. top five for me, but I, I don't know who would shake out in that, in that ranking what, system. What would your, just like throw out names that you would have in the top five. All right. So Satchel, probably, probably Koufax. Um, I guess Walter Johnson has to be there. I guess Nolan Ryan. To, I guess Nolan Ryan has to be. It, Nolan Ryan's tough for me because yes, he has a stupid, ridiculous, nonsensical number of strikeouts, but he was also never the consensus best pitcher, which I think says a lot, especially when you played for that long. But at the same time, he has a ridiculous number of strikeouts. So Nolan Ryan appears there, I guess, for me. Randy Johnson's probably there for me too. Uh, Bob Gibson's got to be there. I know that's already more than five names, but it's so tough. Uh-huh. What about you? Being a six foot seven tall, lanky white man, it's hard not to put Randy Johnson at number one. The big unit. The big unit. You're um, both lefties. And we're both lefties. I think Roger Clemens needs to be in the conversation. Yeah. Um, he has uh, a whole bunch of war, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, I mean, it's the steroids thing that like gives me a pause, even though by all other accounts, we've kind of accepted that. Um without really digging into it and without being able to give, you know, um, holy fuck, who are we talking? Satchel Page. Um, you know, the dive, deep dive into like his Negro League career as he deserves. Uh, I think I got to give it to Clemens or Randy Johnson, one of the two, but Clemens being the, you know, clubhouse leader. Right. Do you think you. there's any pitcher active today that would give any one of those guys a run for their money or at least ever enter the conversation? Um, it's, it's always tough talking about top fives with baseball because the stats have been kept and mean so much for so long. So, you know, I, like the first, one of the first guys that stuck out in my head was Clayton Kershaw. Of course. Yeah. And it's it's very easy to look at Clayton Kershaw and say he's absolutely one of the greatest pitchers of my lifetime um, because he absolutely is. Um, three-time Cy Young, MVP, Triple Crown, eight-time All-Star, World Series, five-time ERA title, Gold Glover, 71.6 war, absolutely one of the greatest pitchers of my lifetime. But baseball is so old, and there are so many players over that stretch, so many pitchers, who accomplished so many things that even looking at the fact that I would probably say Clayton Kershaw is the best active pitcher right now in terms of all of his cumulative stats and performances, I don't think he enters. Might not even enter a. Oh, it's close. I was going to say he might not enter a historical top 10, but it's fucking close. He probably. Mm. I, don't, I don't think he, he gets into a top five, though, for we're talking all time. I don't think so either. Um, you know, I think the name that jumped out after Clayton Kershaw was Justin Verlander. Was, yep. And I don't think he's going to go there. The third name was Jacob deGrom. And I think he he has this weird phenomenon of getting better every single year, despite him being 33 years old. So... Clayton Kershaw had such a dominant peak. It gets him into the conversation we're having. But in order for him to reach, you know, the accolades and and the, you know, complete career that some of these other guys have had already, he would need to play in probably into his 40s. And while he's still a good pitcher, he's not, I would say, an elite pitcher in the, you know, in the context of this conversation. So I don't think he would ever have the chance to get there. Jacob deGrom, on the other hand, is so good and getting better every single year that even though he started 
when he was 26 years old and came into the league when he was 26, which nowadays it's not 41, but it's still a very late age to kind of break in. The fact that he's 33 and still this unbelievable, still the best pitcher in all of baseball at 33 years old and getting better every year, I see him having the ability to kind of drag this into that same kind of age 40 season and still be at least from where we are now at 33 a chance to build on this legacy and 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 work himself deeper into the conversation yeah i mean he that it's it's the kofax conversation you know he didn't pitch for a very very long time but the peak was so unbelievable that it forces the conversation you know um we talked about it a bunch of times. Kofax only has like 48 war or some shit like that, but he is such an easy hall of famer. Literally he's in um, because he just, his peak was ridiculous. Um, The three highest active war pitchers. Yeah. And he retired when he was like, he, I think literally won Cy Young his last season. I kind of forget, but that sounds right. So we're going to roll with that. He was, uh, so he won Cy Young, and finished second in MVP voting both of his final two years, was third in Cy Young voting his third to final year, Cy Young MVP fourth to final year, and that was, you know, that's how he closed out at right. 30 years old. Fucking ridiculous. Uh, the three highest active war pitchers, which, I've, again, also I feel like we've talked about a bunch, but whatever. Uh, the highest active war pitcher is Justin Verlander at 72.3, Zach Greinke at 68.9, and Clayton Kershaw at 68.8. And if you're saying, hey, Josh, you just said Clayton Kershaw's war earlier, it was 71.6. Yes, I did. I'm sure he has some OR because he bats, um, which uh, or fields, and I'm sure that this is uh, just pitching war. Um, that baseball reference does foe this shit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see. Oh, oh, that's player value pitching. What do you think? Uh, player value batting. Oh, okay. Yeah, look at that. Clayton Kershaw, two point nine career OWAR. Way to go, Kersh. Um, but anyway, yeah, Verlander is that don't have that. <sighs> yeah, right. Uh, granted, it took him fourteen seasons to get that shit, but still. Um, Verlander is 38 and Granke is 37. So their odds of ascending to fucking honestly, even 75 is slim to none. Uh, Kirsch for as old as he feels is only 33. Um, So he could conceivably play another five seasons, which I don't think would be an outrageous number of seasons to continue playing Uh, his career. 162 game average for war which really just means seasons not literally 162 games um because no pitcher plays 162 games in the season um is 6.3 so if you add that together with lazy math and call that 32 extra wins um which oh boy does it sound like a lot but honestly isn't ridiculous to think of that'd be over 100 war and uh i don't really doubt kirsch could do it but it's a matter of how sharp is a decline because all declines come eventually and um, how does he avoid getting injured? And uh, those are things that cannot be predicted. But if that did happen, he would bump Christy Matthewson out of the top 10 in career war um, and nestle himself right under Randy Johnson, which uh, is also wild. Uh, Yeah. If you had to pick one pitcher one young pitcher today that has the ability to catapult themselves into this conversation uh do you have any that come to mind oh damn who's young so jumping out for me at least looking through this list of kind of who is still young enough to kind of have a significant jump forward or or has a peak that is still unseen yet is also playing at a high enough level to where you know the peak can be something of an all-time great and we just have to see how that consistency and and how the time throughout his career kind of just stays with it is um 
Shane Bieber, only 26 years old, played four seasons so far. No, he's already old. has, you know, a tremendous career behind him. Won a Cy Young, was top four the year prior. Um, we'll see what happens this year. But the fact that he's had no less than 118 strikeouts in a season so far is pretty great for those numbers. Those are, you know, pretty great numbers. So let's see. His war per 162 right now is 5.0. But I feel like that is not bad for being halfway through his fourth season. And a triple crown. Not bad. I'm not sure if we have a guy that's like There's that yet. That really jump out outside of that, right? No. Like and even uh, that's like it's not. I, mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even pick Shane. To certain. No, I mean he's 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 26 with 11 WAR. It it yeah. it's 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 just not. It's a hard way to get another 90. Yeah. By the time Kirsch was 26, uh, let's see. Hold on one second, folks. Uh, he so had. 48.1 war oh my god are you serious yes by the time clayton kershaw was 26 he had 48 war oh, hold on i have his 20 age 27 season sorry there folks i was rushing um 40 40.8 war well i mean if you look at it through his first four full seasons he had a 12.9 uh no he had 18.5 is not exactly, you know, eighteen point five. Sorry, eighteen point five WAR, not twelve point nine. Are you correcting yourself or correcting me? Correcting you. I accidentally muted myself. Um, you said a uh, twelve point nine. Uh, in his first four seasons, Clinton Kershaw had eighteen point five WAR. Eighteen point five WAR. Four plus four is eight plus three. Where? Oh, I'm looking at WAA. I can't read. Fuck. All right. No, you, you got me there. Oh, I got you. You got me. Got to be quicker than that. Oh. Uh, I leaned on my mic and it, it has a volume control on the bottom. So I muted you. So I just heard you start talking and then not knowing what was going on. So just rambling through it. Oh, my God. Oh, we're just hitting crisis after crisis over here. That's the way she goes. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough because you know obviously there's a bunch, and I don't mean to make it sound like there's no great young pitchers because there's a bunch of great young pitchers. But when you talk about who has a chance of being like an all timer inner circle guy, um, first off, it's it's an impossible conversation to look at someone who's like 19 and be like, you, you're gonna do it because no one fucking knows. Um, and even guys that end up making the Hall of Fame because of later career runs, I mean, like it's certainly can Shane Bieber pitch for 12 years. Uh, longer and end up averaging a stupid number of wins per season and end up one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he, he could. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things you can never predict it, it. Obviously we're looking at age because there's such a time factor with this type of shit. Um, but it, it's, I mean, I mean, how, how can you tell, you know, there's, there's no way of telling. So mm-hmm. it's fun to look at players who are up right now um, and, and make guesses, but it, it's, 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 it's impossible. It's throwing darts, you know? Right. You really are. Uh, so I guess let's just loop it on back to Satchel real quick, um, which is believe it or not where we started. <laughs> um, where the fuck did I even put his baseball reference page? Ah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, so his, his best individual season up in the, um, MLB, uh, I guess we'll go by ERA plus was, uh, his first year with the Indians when he had a 165 ERA plus over 72 innings, uh, his innings high watermark came in his age 45 season with the Browns. He made an all-star appearance that season. He threw 138 innings to the tune of a, uh, 3.07 ERA. Um, which would be the third lowest season of his career, which is rock solid. Um, but yeah, he had his one individual appearance in 65 with the Kansas City Athletics in which he pitched um, three innings, allowing um, 
just one hit and uh, getting one strikeout. So at the ripe age of 58, he came out and still threw three scoreless innings uh, facing 10 batters. Just, just so stupid. Um, he's 58. <laughs> uh, but is, is he the human embodiment of the phrase? Fuck you. Uh, he's just the king of cool, man. It, you should look up his tombstone. His tombstone has on it some of like satchel pages, like um, like tricks to stay young or some shit like that. And even just the way it's written out, you can tell he was like one of the coolest motherfuckers on the planet. Um, and it, I think he's, you know, he's one of the first players you learn about when you learn about the Negro Leagues outside of uh, Jackie Robinson. You know, usually it's Josh Gibson and um, Satchel Page, and he totally earns that with the legendary stories that he has told about him. Um, so shout outs to... The always relevant Satchel Page making his MLB debut 73 years ago today. Um, again, as of recording this. Uh, in other pitching related news, I took part in a virtual book tour yesterday with CC Sabathia, which was pretty cool. Uh, and I was asking, I asked a question that got answered about um, what. MLB should do to uh, get keep fans more engaged and to get more African-American kids involved in the sport in a way that can lead to a, a greater black representation in the major league level. And his answer was very much so not what I was expecting. Tune in next time to find, no, imagine. Um, yes. Uh, it was a really insightful answer. He basically said, I don't think it's up to major league baseball. I think it's up to the players, you know, and, he talked for a while about how, you know, there's a bunch of organizations that he works with and that he knows of that try to increase engagement in um, urban areas and, and black community centers to try to get kids of color playing the sport and get them, you know, just on fields in general and on as many teams as they can be on. Cause that's one of the things he touched on is like, you know, if you got a kid that's good at baseball, you know, like you got to get them on as many teams as they can be on. It's not just a matter of having like a local league that you do one or two times a week or however much it is. It's like really getting in as many plate appearances or innings or whatever as you can. Um, and that is expensive and that is time consuming. And it's in part up to, uh, for his, in his answer, a uh, large part up to the players and the players Alliance, uh, which was helped started by CC last year um, post George Floyd to raise money, raise awareness and raise engagement and MLB's role. He really didn't emphasize at all and said, largely it's just not even theirs to own, which is an interesting perspective. I, I think at least I myself personally fall back on the idea that like here is the institution the large institution and because they their umbrella covers everything they should be involved in everything and i i do still stand by that to a certain degree but uh it, it i really i didn't emphasize as much as he did in my thinking of it the players and I think he's probably fucking right. I mean, why would I be right over him? He's literally CC Sabathia and I am literally nobody. <laughs> so obviously CC is, is going to have <laughs> a little bit more insight into that than I would. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, I think the only time we ever talk about player accountability with this type of stuff is usually like, you know, whether or not players want to market themselves, you know, the Mike trap conversation, um, and I hadn't really thought about it in a way of, you know, players reaching into their own communities to try to be that guiding figure to getting, you know, kids that wouldn't have the opportunity, whether for whatever reason that is to get more involved in the game, but it's, it's a prescient point. Uh, is it ever, have, have you, I'm sure we've thought about it and talked about it to some small extent, but have you thought about it at all? Um, nothing past what we've already kind of jumped into where 
the marketing yes needs to be better the community outreach needs to be better you know the ability of teams to reach out to their own communities not just communities in general um you know it needs to be something that comes from everywhere i will say when you started this conversation off with uh well yesterday i took a virtual book tour i was just about ready to just end the call and and just go about my merry way that just sounded like the worst possible thing that we could talk about that ended up being really really insightful i enjoyed that corwin hates books folks i do i don't know how to read so it's tough um how long have we been going a little under an hour so we have like one more topic of discussion well hold on i wasn't done with this one yet oh i'm sorry i thought you were moving on okay oh (laughs) okay well because i was gonna say you know i it it feels tough for a for me as a fan to put too much of that burden on players because of you know baseball i remember as a kid we played it during the summer and because it is a summer sport and that is when mlb players are also playing baseball and so you know as a as a relatively sympathetic person as a sympathetic baseball fan i want to look at the players and go like ah you know what how, how much can you do when you've got potentially a wife maybe a couple kids um that you get to see on the like maybe 10 consecutive days you're home and then the rest of it is spent traveling on the road how much can you really do to boost this but i mean you know at the same time though again cc is right you know being he mentioned he mentioned a story I actually i didn't know which for something about ceci's about i didn't know oh my goodness um but Dave Stewart was a member of CC Sabathia's Boys and Girls Club um, out in Vallejo. And Dave Stewart came to the Boys and Girls Club when CC was a kid. And that was one of the things that like inspired CC to become a baseball player and then also become, you know, uh, something of a philanthropist and involved in community activism because, you know, seeing, seeing Dave Stewart, um, one pro ball legend uh, and as well as being one of the greatest black baseball players of all time, um, seeing him and that representation and understanding that he, you know, when you're a kid, you look up to these people so much more because they have that little like shine to them. He was still doing this shit. I should be doing this shit too. And it's that type of stuff that's going to have more of an impact or, or at least a very, very large impact comparative to, I guess, what MLB can do on its own because I focus more on the financial side of it, which is throwing money at the problem, which she said is not necessarily the solution, which, again, go fuck myself. He's probably right. Um, but, again, just something that I hadn't really – oh, something I hadn't really thought about. So, yeah. Hmm. It was an interesting conversation. I don't disagree with you. Um, I do have to admit, though, I, I had to look up who Dave uh, Dave Stewart was. You don't know Smoke? One of the meanest pitchers of all time? I don't. Love, love Smoke. Oh, my God. His his Oakland years are legendary. Because um, he was one of the toughest dudes on the mound, man. He was a personality. Okay, but, but, but what does that mean? I don't know how to explain. Like... You ever just look at a pitcher dealing and he looks like the angriest motherfucker on the world? Max Scherzer? Yeah, imagine Max Scherzer, but tougher. That's Dave Stewart. Not necessarily as good. Max Scherzer is surely going to be a Hall of Famer and Dave Stewart is is not for good reason. Um, but I get what you're saying, though. I get yeah. what you're saying. Uh, he is one of the black aces. I will also mention he had his 1987 campaign with Oakland, in which he won 20 games. Uh, yeah, man, that that like 87 to 1990 stretch with uh, Oakland. So fucking good. Anyway, um, what were you going to say as we were moving on from this topic? Uh, I was going to say, do you want to discuss the newly set home run derby field? Yes, I do. That's actually one of the things I had up but forgot to write down in the chat. 
Um, I can't be blamed for that fuck up now. Hey, yo. I no, sir. Um, so I know that there's supposed to be eight names. I only have seven. Do you have eight? I have eight. Okay, so tell me who. All right, so then why don't you go through it and I can fill in the name I'm missing? Uh, okay. We have, in order of people I care about, <laughs> Shohai Otani and yep. seven other people. Um, Shohai Otani, Juan Soto. Oh, that's the name Matt I didn't have. Okay. Olson, Trevor Story, Pete Alonzo, Salvador Perez, Trey Mancini, Mancini. and I don't care. And future Padre himself, Joey Gallo. Why would Joey get? Okay. Future Padre. I, uh, I do not think about, that's going to happen. There's rumors about the Padres trading for him. Oh, sweet summer child. Welcome to the Yankee syndrome, which is my team is good and has prospects, hey, which means that we are involved in everything. What? Guess what? We're the team that does trade for fucking everybody now. So come at me. We don't just throw money at people and just say, sign with us and then whip their dick out and throw it on the table. Look at all of our rings. We're the fuckers that do it. Mm, look at you, Darvish. Look at Blake Snell. Look at Mike Clevenger. Look at our entire team. Boom. Roasted. I am roasted. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so uh, tell me about who you're excited about here. Um, I mean, I'm excited for the field. I think... Um... I think the fact that the biggest part of this is Shohei Otani. Uh, there's no, there's just no two ways about it. Uh, he is him and um, Fernando Tatis Jr. are the two biggest stories of this season for very good reason. And the fact that the fact that Tatis is not going is really not. Um, shocking he had a shoulder injury from swinging too hard this season uh no shit he's not going to go mm -hmm. to an event where the whole point is to swing out your goddamn shoes the whole time so yeah. we should not be surprised um but to get show high to do it and to because obviously you can as a baseball fan you can uh make baseball appointment television for yourself and you can go get mlb tv or find a vpn that can access you los angeles angels broadcasts and watch um Otani's games, uh, but it's much, it's just much easier to get a national eye on things when it's the only thing happening and it's on, I would assume ESPN or some shit like that. Um, I'm sure it'll be on a national network wherever the home run derby is broadcast. I really don't feel like looking it up. Um, and it's different. It's, it, it's different. Even then when you have the un single national game, like the angels play like on Sunday night ESPN, um, it's different to have it be like the only shit gone down and uh, being able to really like make a point of, hey, we got like the coolest dude on the planet to be in this shit. Come check it the fuck out. Um, the rest of the field is fun. It's a super fun crowd, um, especially uh, Joey Gallo getting to be here. Juan Soto getting to be here in what has been a relatively quieter year from him to remind people that, yeah, yeah, my, my, my guy's pretty fucking good, um, even though it's been a quieter season for him. Um, and then Trevor Story getting to put on his uh, Yankee showcase there, but <laughs> uh, outside outside of Shohei Otani, who else are you excited for? I'm excited for Joey Gallo. I'm excited for Juan Soto. I'm excited for Shohei Otani three times over. Um, excited for Trey Mancini came back from cancer this season. Dude's kicking ass. Yeah, I'm excited for the story. I don't really expect him to do well in this compared to, you know, the guys he's going to be up against. So I'm not terribly excited. Um, but I think Shohei Otani is built for the home run derby. And my biggest concern is, you know, him obviously getting hurt first and foremost. Um, but like him just having the... I guess, longevity to go, you know, three, four rounds of this. Like, you know, we saw uh, Vlad Guerrero lose it last year because he just got fucking tired after mashing every single baseball uh, thrown to him. Um, 
So I think if he can go the distance and he can, uh, you know, keep himself from just passing out, I think he just is naturally going to bash the fuck out of these baseballs. He has like a 66% extra base uh, rate. He's just, he hits long fucking balls. Yeah, uh, he does. And I understand the concern uh, that happened to Aaron Judge in 2017. And he was, uh, he finished out the season and he was like, he had a shoulder injury and he was like, oh yeah, I got this during the uh, home run derby. And it's like, oh, no one wants to fucking hear that. Um, And he is not the first person to say that. That's kind of a common thing you hear. Um, But at the same time, you know, it doesn't happen to everybody. So we shall see. Their number of home runs in order. Uh, Shohei Otani, who hit one today, is up to 31. Uh, Joey Gallo, who has hit two today, is up to 23. I don't have the current day totals for everybody else, but fuck it. Um, Matt Olson, third amongst the gang with 20, tied for set with Salvador Perez with 20. Uh, then we get a tie between Pete Alonso and Trey Mancini, each with 15. Uh, then Trevor Story, who has a mere 11 followed by Juan Soto, who has 10. Um, now, it doesn't necessarily matter who has more home runs if we just, like, plucked. Actually, that's a good question. Um, it, like, it's, it doesn't really matter if you just, like, take the top 10 home run hitting people this season because that's not necessarily what the home run derby is all about, which, by the way, if you did, it would be uh, Otani, uh, Vlad Guerrero, Fernando Tatis. The two out of three of those openly said they wouldn't do it. Um, Kyle Schwarber, who is currently hurt. Ronald Acuna Jr., Joey Gallo, Rafael Devers, Adalas Garcia, Marcus Simeon, and Javi Baez, um, who all all of that group outside of Acuna has 21. Acuna himself has 23, although now Gallo has 23. So um, it's more so about your ability to hit home runs and also whether or not you want to do this shit. Um, I distinctly remember an incident in uh, 2017, 2018, in which uh, Logan Morrison, I believe, got mad that Gary Sanchez got picked to be in the home run derby, and he didn't because at the all-star break, Logan Morrison had more home runs than Gary Sanchez. And everyone was like, yeah, but you're a punk bitch. Um, and also you had like one good season. So pipe down. Um, and that's why it's like, that's why you see the one soda that he only has 10 on the season, but like one soda can fucking mash. Um, and he would be fucking electric in the home run derby. Yeah. Yeah, he would. Uh, Pete Alonso obviously having um, a quote unquote down season as far as home runs go, but dude won this shit last time they did it. Like he's very, very good at hitting home right. runs. Right, he's hit fifty three home runs in a season. He's there. He pretty much has an automatic invite to the home run derby because you know he can hit them in his sleep. Um, I really want to see Juan Soto take a pitch and do the Soto shuffle in the home run derby. Ah, uh, that yeah. is like if nothing else, that's just something I want to see. I I am excited to see Trevor Story do it. I have often spoken in this past few weeks about wanting to see like wiry players that normally wouldn't get invited to the home run derby go up to the home run derby to see how they do. Um, Obviously, Trevor Story getting the invite because this is taking place in Colorado. And for now, Trevor Story plays for Colorado. Um, And also just also hits massive amounts of home runs. It's not like, you know, he doesn't mash already. Right, 2018 and 2019, he hit 37 and 35, respectively, um, which is pretty damn good. Um, so it's not like he can't hit him. Pretty good. But, uh, yeah, he is, he is definitely, uh, I guess, probably second wiriest next to a – oh, all right, so hold on. Trevor Story is 6'2", 213. Trey Mancini 6'3", 230. And Trey Mancini feels skinnier than Trevor Story. Tough to say. Tough to say. Hmm. No. Either way, we're getting scrawnier dudes in the home run derby, which I think is going to be kind of fun because could you imagine if Pete Alonso lost the home run derby in like the first round to Trey Mancini? Yeah, how yeah. amazing that would be. That would be hilarious. That would be one the storyline, but also just like visually. Than seeing a guy that just casually hit like 20 home runs in a round. 
is just him getting knocked out by a guy who hits like 13 and then that's his absolute cap. Oh, I love it. I just love shit. I love the chaos that comes with the home run derby. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. Which is why, hot take, they should not force players to wait until the ball lands to hit more. Because theoretically, so first off, number one point, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Well, who gives a fuck? And number two, it's not like players, for the most part, are going to go up there and just go full bore 100% for what? 60 swings? Like, they're going to kill themselves trying to do that, swinging at full force like 60 times. It's not going to be the nonstop monster dong show everyone's expecting. Chances are players will still pace themselves in the beginning and then speed up maybe a bit at the end if they need a few extra. But, like, it's not going to be Rip City. And it's just straight up more enjoyable when you have the anticipation of, like, these moonshot home runs where it's like, oh, my God, is it going to land, you know, in center field? Is it going to land, you know, outside? Whatever. Like, it's a more anticipatory type of swing or type of ball that's hit. And the fact that the setup the way it is now so heavily favors these line drive hits sucks because they're nowhere near as fun. Which guarantees Shohei a win since he is the line drive home run king this season. Well, he just happens to hit the ball at like 116 miles per hour every single time he makes contact. So Don't we all? No. <laughs> no, we don't. Not even, That's why good. Not even remotely close. <laughs> Pedestrian numbers. Estrogen numbers. Man, it's gonna be a fucking blast though. I am I am looking forward to it. Um hundred percent. It's it's the best all-star game event. setup event. Yeah, event's the right name in all of sports. And it's I don't think it's close. Um speaking of which, and we can I guess close on this, Jacob deGrom is not going to pitch in the all-star game, he said today. Um which also makes total fucking sense, much like um, Fernando Tatis Jr. will not be swinging in the home run derby coming off of a shoulder injury. Uh, Jacob deGrom has missed several starts with injuries of his own, so the idea that he's not going to throw even just one inning, but still one very insignificant inning and risk an additional injury also makes a fuck ton of sense. Um, Who do you think should replace him? Um, he endorsed Taiwan Walker, which I think also makes a lot of sense. It makes sense. I don't know. I don't like. I don't know off the top of my head who I would put there. I mean, Taiwan Walker's having a solid ass season. Two four four ERA, eighty five innings pitched. Um, he's got himself eighty seven strikeouts. Um, whip of one. 1012, a FIP of 306. Is uh, Trevor Rogers in the All Star game? Uh, I don't know. Because he would be my uh, choice if he is not. He yes, is. he is. He is. He's there. All right. Then my second choice, if this is an option, Freddie Peralta. Oh, did he not make it? No, he did not. Wow. Which is a goddamn shame. Yeah, wait, that's actually wild. That is stupid. It should be Freddie Peralta. It absolutely should be Freddie Peralta. I had assumed that Freddie Peralta was actually there because I for- forgot and haven't checked. Um, yeah, it should totally be Freddie Peralta. Dude's whip is below one. Dude's got 3.1 war with 129 strikeouts in 93 say, yeah. innings. Yeah, he, he's on pace. 185 ERA plus. 185. He's on pace for his cool 250 strikeouts. Like, he has more strikeouts in the first half of this season than he's had in any given season of his career, which is only three other seasons. But still, like, it's only eight more um, innings than his 2019 entire 2019 season uh but it's already 14 more strikeouts uh which uh is good 
Yeah. Yeah, I should totally be Freddy Peralta. And also half as many innings, less than half as many innings. I know it's tough because that would be your third Brewer pitcher, but still. No, your third Brewer starter, your fourth Brewer pitcher. Fuck, they have good pitching. Man, if I told you at the beginning of the season that the Brewers would have three, potentially four. Um, oh, actually, you know what? We haven't looked, I haven't looked at these standings in a while. The Brewers really are kind of running away with this division, aren't they? 51-35. Second place team is the Reds at 44-41. No, hold on. We have to save that there talk. Have to save that talk for next week. Okay. Yeah. What's nope. the, what was the what was the, what's the topic? I was I was starting to look starting to look at standings. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I got it. Got to hold on to that shit. I've been purposefully avoiding standings for like a week and a half because I, it's going to make me want to talk about it on the show, and I want to wait for the All Star break. Yeah. So. No, I got it. Right yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then let's wrap it up here. Unless you got anything else. As Corwin Heller sassily shakes his head. Uh, yeah, this is a audio podcast, right? right yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Choosing Pod. If you'd like to follow, hit us, hit Corwin Heller up on Twitter. You can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D Tracy. Uh, if you'd like to send us emails, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one.